Hi, and welcome back to AGM Watch, brought to you by the Australian Shareholders Association. And we're in the final wrap-up for the 2021 AGM season. And we're welcoming back Fiona Balzer. How are you, Fiona? Hi, Phil. Very pleased to be at the end of uh, 2021 and the AGM season. Going well, thank you. It's been a pretty fascinating AGM season. We've got a lot to talk about just in the wrap-up here today. But let's start off with the banks and what's been going on there. So we've got one vote against a REM report and a director's re-election, I believe. Yep, that's correct, Phil. In our final week, we've got three of the four big banks, Westpac, ANZ, National Bank, and also three chemical companies. With Westpac, we're voting against their remuneration report. The company really can't take a trick one year in a row. They had a really rough year in 2019 after the Royal Commission and had a remuneration report strike. Then 2020 wasn't such a big deal and the report passed. But going into this year, once again, ASIC has um, raised some of their practices and reporting. They do date back to 2000, but it just seems every time you think that Westpac has sorted out those issues, that they come back and bite them, share prices down towards $20. And it just seems like perhaps the remuneration reports and the framework's not doing its job. It's supposed to support people and culture and positive accountability and the like. And it just doesn't seem like poor Westpac's able to put this stuff behind them. They're getting there, but I'd like them to get there quicker, as would most shareholders and stakeholders. And what about ANZ? We've got a director that we're not supporting at the moment. Uh, Yes, um, ASA is really positive on directors having what's called skin in the game. We give them a number of years to get there, but we expect them to have the same value as their fees in shares. And the former Prime Minister of New Zealand, Mr Kay, has not achieved that goal yet. It's been a while and it's about half And that's when you don't count the fees. If you count the fees, it's even slower accumulation. So we'll be reminding him that we really need him to take that that jump. Let's get to 100% of your fees in the value of the company's shares. You mentioned the chemical companies Newfarm, Orica and Incitec Pivot. Was there anything interesting there in terms of voting intentions? They seem to be reasonably benign this year. They'll obviously have a lot of work to do with the ESG, environmental, social and governance issues, the environmental element of that in the coming years as reporting requirements increase. But this year they seem to be achieving what we need them to achieve. What are those reporting requirements that are increasing over the next few years? How does that work? Yeah, that's been a feature of the last few years. ASA, lots of investors, think that companies need to be scanning the horizons for risks and also need to maintain what's called their social licence to operate. So they need to do the right thing. And we've had four years, there has been a requirement for companies to report on what their strategy is for dealing with environmental risks and also be aware of what requirements will be coming in in the next few years. So, for example, on those chemical companies, they've long had to meet emissions requirements to keep their licences. But we also need them to be reporting on their impact on carbon dioxide. And um, 
We haven't had clear reporting because all these companies are hugely different. And if you have a very quick and vanilla reporting requirement, you're just going to end up with people ticking that box and moving on. Whereas we need them to authentically examine what their circumstance is and convey to shareholders what the risks are when they hold the shares. You know, some people will not invest in certain environmental outcomes or you know, companies that lead to those outcomes. Others want their company to do the best they can with what they have. So what we've just seen is in the last year, the International Sustainability Standards Board has come into existence. They've put out some sort of protocols and next year we'll be introducing a standard which we'll all be commenting on because with any standard, we want it to be achievable. Definitely has to be achievable, definitely has to address all the issues we need addressed. And for retail shareholders particularly, we will also need the companies to provide some analysis of the statistics, you know, what it means for them. So we'll have some companies that will do better in achieving the reporting. We'll have some that will greenwash and that's disappointing when that happens. The idea of the standards is the shareholders will be able to look at that and hold the directors and executives to account for the outcomes and for the reporting and for strategies that lead us to, you know, a net zero world. And talking about remuneration reports, we've seen 17 strikes for companies that ASA monitors. Tell us about the top three. Yeah, this is a couple more than last year. The top three were Dexas with 66% against vote, and the against vote only has to beat 25%. So it's not actually often that we see such high high votes against above, say, the 50%, which is what the normal voting for um, general resolutions is. So DEXA 66%, Link Administration 63%, and Rio Tinto got 61%. DEXA's had elements of retention payments, Link, it's been under takeover offer, you know, on and off for bits of the business, all of the business, and they too had retention payments. And shareholders don't like incentives just being paid for sticking around. And I understand that when a company's under takeover, you can just imagine your executive might be thinking, this is all messy. I may need to find a new job in three years if an offer comes along, it's possibly easier to move that executive across than if there wasn't disruption in their existing business. But still, the quantum and lack of hurdles just aren't acceptable to shareholders. And then with Rio Tinto, it's again highlighting that remuneration reports and frameworks are supposed to encourage the appropriate culture. And back to that ESG comment, when those caves were blown up, the Yukon Caves. There were a lot of angry people, weren't there? There was a lot of angry people, but also the rewards seemed to be flowing for the wrong things and the walkaway payments for the executives who did cease to work for the company. So in some ways, that's the ultimate punishment. But the payments were very high when you consider that um, it was a failure on the social licence to operate basis and your remuneration framework should be supporting and encouraging the right behaviours. And it, you know, it can be that it's structured neatly, but it's also how that accountability is applied. You know, when you finally come to that level of like, 
do they get paid? Don't they get paid? They said do too early, too often. So another feature of the season, of course, in the post-COVID environment is hybrid meetings and virtual meetings. What's been happening in that space? Yeah, it's been an interesting year. Last year, we attended a couple of hundred virtual AGMs at the start of the period because it was all new to everyone. Experience was variable, but if your choice was not having a meeting and having a meeting, they did their job. And then this year, we would have thought that we'd see a step change improvement, even though ASA prefers hybrid meetings because having people in the room just enables a whole lot better engagement with the directors. You can explain your question, you can respond to an answer, whereas with virtual meetings, you don't know if your question is going to be put to the meeting, whether you're using the voice facility or the the written facility. And then when you do, if it's misread or mis interpreted, you'd have no comeback typically. So uh, we had thought that practice would get better this year, but really it hasn't. There's more issues with technology, with firewalls, arguing with um, virtual meeting platforms. So yeah, a bit disappointing on the lack of lift in how virtual meetings are presented. And then we've also had a policy issue where it's been suggested that legislation has been put in place to allow virtual meetings if the constitution of the company allows. So um, that was a new feature put to parliament in the last couple of months. And um, what we saw was a number of companies had been concerned about whether in pandemic conditions they could have virtual meetings and had put the option into their constitution with a constitutional change. So we've said that we favour hybrid meetings and we're okay with virtual only meetings where gathering is not permitted. But basically the current state of technology and the practices to deliver them just aren't good enough. And so we are against companies holding virtual only meetings at this time. We had a bit of pushback from the companies saying, oh, that hybrid meetings are difficult to manage. ASA has managed the last four meetings you know, first ones were hybrid. When we had to, we did virtual. So don't agree there, but also think that if the technology was good, the hybrid meetings would be easy as well. So that's our position. But this year we had a number of companies put up a constitutional change to allow virtual meetings. The first one was PointsBet. They had a vote that was quite resoundingly against. It was 86%. So really resounding when you actually had to have 75% for, so 25% against, so resoundingly defeated. And then a number of other companies actually withdrew their resolutions. So just for example, Dexas, Brambles and Bendigo Bank, as the votes were coming in, read the writing on the wall or perhaps reacted to positive engagement and they didn't put the resolution to the meeting. And then companies that did put the resolution to the meeting, shareholders voted them down in the most. So BAPCOR, C-Link and NIB went ahead and the constitutional change wasn't approved. So back to the parliamentary situation, that legislation allowing virtual meetings, if the constitution allows, hasn't passed yet. It'll be introduced early next year. There's been a Greens proposed amendment, which we won't know if it gets up, but that was just to 
carve-out listed companies. So all your associations and the like would be able to hold virtual meetings if the constitution allowed, but if the amendment holds, listed companies wouldn't be able to. And the idea is to encourage hybrid meetings so that they can lift the performance and the delivery and make it consistent. So watch this space on whether we have more virtual meetings, notwithstanding what happens with the COVID situation and gatherings. And of course, the highlight of the season was the Blackmores AGM. Tell us about that. (laughs) It was quite a circus, wasn't it? (laughs) That was a circus, but I think it was also a really strong reminder about what meetings and company meetings are all about. Some of it's going to be about how the company moves forward, mergers, acquisitions, countering director elections. So with Blackmores, the founder or the founder's son, Marcus Blackmore, ported the election of a self-nominated director. His name's George Tambassus. He's a director of API as well, so, you know, has those credentials. But in the interviews with the board of Blackmores, they chose different directors and were not recommending he be appointed. Took an awful lot of thought and weighing up to determine to vote against Mr. Tambassus' election. And what went into that was we were supporting the ongoing transformation, but we also wanted the company to keep true to its culture and brand, which has, you know, emanated from the Blackmore family. We had felt that the board and the new CEO, newish CEO, Alistair Symington, had made progress on that transformation. And also that if Mr. Tambassus had been put up as a nominee director for Mr. Blackmore, we would have supported his election because we do think that if you own 25% of the shares, you should be able to elect a portion of the board. But a nominee has a different um, status than an independent director. You know, they're someone who's looking out for their shareholder. An independent director can't really report back from a board. You know, all the board communications have to come from the board rather than individual directors. So um, we would have voted for him if he was a nominee director, but there was a lot of toing and froing, speaking with Mr. Blackmore, Mr. Tambassus, with the chair. The company started communicating with um, the shareholders directly when they found that Mr. Blackmore had been it was very messy and a whole lot more work in that extra engagement, whereas typically you know the timing, you get the notice of meeting, you have the annual report, you talk to the directors with your questions and then you go to the AGM. was an awful lot more work and a lot more fraught in coming to that position. In the end, Mr Tambassus wasn't elected, but Marcus Blackmore still has an option because he has more than 5% of the shares, to call an extraordinary meeting and put his election up again. So we won't know if that's his plan. You know, if nothing happens in the next six months, we can think that it's probably settled. But, you know, you wouldn't want to call a meeting in January because you'd have to get all your notices out in December. So watch this space February, March, I'd say. We have better things to do in December, don't we? (laughs) Well, hopefully, yes, everybody has a lot more better things to do at this time of year. It's got all the machinations of an episode of Billions, hasn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, they do get their inspiration from somewhere, not just out of nowhere. 
<laughs> That's right. And, yeah, there is a thing with um, founders. I was discussing this with monitors this week about, um, you know, where does a company that has a strong founder and a large shareholder, at what point do they need to change to a standard ASX 200 index participant behaviour? Because they're asking for capital from all these shareholders, retail shareholders, big investors. At some point you want to be able to say, yes, it's mature and it is behaving in all the ways we expect from an ASX 200 company without perhaps losing that extra spark that comes with a founder, that extra individuality. And I think, as I said, that had he been put forward as a nominee, I think they would have been easily elected. Just, yeah, we're watching this space. We'll see what happens. Fiona, thank you very much for a great uh, season. And I guess we should say a big uh, word of thanks to all the volunteer monitors as well for all the work that they do. Absolutely. The monitors are drawn from the membership base. There's over 120 of them. The amount of work that they put in through the year is quite large, but in AGM season, it's also time constrained and very hectic. So yes, big thank you to all our monitors and also to people who give ASA proxies. Thank you for letting us talk to the companies on your behalf. You know, people will send us emails with questions they want asked and we sift through them when we're preparing for those meeting with directors. So really appreciate also the member input as well. And yours, of course. Thank you for hosting AGM Watch. <laughs> Thank you very much, Fiona. Thanks. <laughs>